It's Friday the 19th of February. Welcome to our Afternoon Sport Deep Dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and joining me is Shane Lee. Shane, uh, um, I tell you what, the IPL prices, we'll talk about it shortly, but boy, oh boy. Mate, big, big bucks being uh, spent over in India and on some of our Australian players will look at that. But I'm off to the Hunter to play golf this weekend, mate, so I'm not too concerned. Uh, that something must be wrong with my mail system here because I didn't quite get the invite. We have got the IPL chat. John Stephenson, Todd Greenberg, as he gets ready for a nice glass of semi on my coey. Let's get going. <laughs> Shano, well, let's start with Novak. He whinged and, uh, you know, Kyrgios called him a tool, but boy, oh boy, he can play tennis. He can, he can. He's a, he's a very, uh, obviously, talented tennis player. And um, I think this win over Karatsev was probably his best win for the whole tournament so far. So convincing, 6-3, 6-4, 6-2. And Karatsev is, is a, a talented guy on the up, and um, he just picked him apart. Yeah, it was a good win. Straight sets through to the final. And uh, to think it's his ninth final, that is just quite uh, remarkable. Now, Serena Williams gave us a bit of an indication that she was saying goodbye. Put a hand on her heart, slight little wave, and then sort of walked out of the press conference reasonably emotional. Yeah, well, she's been so close to equaling, equaling Margaret Court, you know, on 24 for, for so long now. And I really think, hand on her heart, that she was... Um, really uh, hoping that this could be the one where she equals the all-time um, most uh, tournaments. And, uh, yeah, it was a little bit sad for old Serena. And uh, she was just played a, a, an opponent who's, who's younger and stronger at the moment in Osaka and Osaka convincing 6-3, 6-4. Yeah, just blew her off the court, to be honest. Okay, mm. talk about blowing people off places. Uh, what about the kind of money at the IPL? <laughs> I was watching this tick by uh, last night. It's just extraordinary coin, isn't it? Mate, crazy. Uh, a, a guy they call Scrabble in the Australian cricket team, Jai Richardson, um, 14 crore, which is about 2.5 million Aussie dollars for six weeks' work. Not bad bucks, mate, and, and Maxwell, 14.25 crore, so a tick over that. Um, Steve Smith was the one who's uh, taken a bit of a pay cut with only 375000 for six weeks' work, mate. That's, that's terrible money, isn't it? Oh, yeah, how does, how's he going to get by? Yeah, do how do you survive on that? When you, when you read all these numbers, and, and like the strongest part of your game was probably the modified version of the game when it mm. came, you know, 45, one day is for Australia. Do you ever regret slightly that you were born 20 years earlier? I don't cry myself to sleep every night now, Tim. I've sort of got over it. But uh, no, it's uh, look, this game would have suited me personally. And uh, there is big, big bucks. And, you know, for Jaya Richardson, um, who has really sort of just probably had his best year in the, the big bash and in and around the Australian one-day team, yeah, to get 2.5 million Australian dollars for six weeks' work, Sets him up nicely for the future, doesn't it? Oh, it's like a lotto win. It's basically, it, it, that's yeah. what it is. It's like kaboom. Uh, you get through six weeks and here's your money. And uh, do, do you know why they call him Scrabble? Am I putting you on the spot here? His name is, is it spelled J-H-Y-E. His name would score very well in Scrabble, yeah. Yeah, I'm not very clever sometimes. I really am. I really do drop the ball. <laughs> on the subject of money, Manly Rugby League fans are unhappy about the prices. They've already got a ground which is been talked about so much about oh we're going to renovate this politician's going to fix it it's never been done it's it's a flashback to 1978 it is mate and um they've upped the prices in it for around two seagulls match now the ticket price goes from 37 dollars per person to 71 now on the back of covid people 
being out of work and, and, and struggling a little bit, that's a massive jump. So for a family of four, you're looking at another $160 just to go to the footy. It might not be uh, sustainable, that. I can see why people are unhappy, you know. And uh, look, the NRL might even step in. And that's a nice segue to our first guest for today's show. We have Todd Greenberg, of course, CEO of the NRL for a number of years. He's now running the Cricketers Association. So Todd Greenberg, up next. Afternoon Sport Real Treat today. We've got uh, the former boss of the NRL who's now in charge of the Cricketers Association for Australia, Todd Greenberg, on the line. How are you, Todd? G'day, guys. Nice to talk to you. Hey, Toddy, um, I feel like you've come full circle, mate. So you started uh, when I was playing cricket at New South Wales. You were the New South Wales sort of cricket development officer. Um, you went away and off to rugby league and, and, you, and you ran the game there. And now you're in charge of the, the Australian Cricketers Association, mate. So you've almost gone full circle, haven't you? Yeah, it does feel like that a bit, Shane. It feels almost like coming home a little bit, uh, mm. coming back to cricket. I mean, it's where I started. And, uh, you know, I've always had a great love of the game itself and the sport. And oh, I'm absolutely ecstatic to come back to cricket. Uh, really excited in this role. I'm particularly excited to work really closely with the players, particularly uh, as what we look at in the future with the female uh, cricketers and the advent of the female game and the growth that has had and, you know, some of the changes that will no doubt come into the sporting landscape, you can feel them coming already with the changes in, in digital technology and broadcast changes. So I'm really looking forward to this and um, I've been given an enormously warm welcome across the board of cricket. So it's been fantastic. I'll tell you what, what, what do you make of all the money at the IPL talking about fresh stories? Like we are just saying before, Jai Richardson, an instant millionaire last night, the money over there is extraordinary. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And it shows you the strength of the game in India and, uh, the opportunity for cricket as a sport uh, for kids who are thinking about which sport to play. And quite often, particularly in Australia, you know, what we see is talented kids coming through pathways, whether they're AFL players or they're union players or league players. And, and what cricket wants to make sure is we attract the very, very best players to continue to play cricket all the way through. And uh, there's not many other sports in this country who can compete uh, for a young kid who wants to play, a boy or girl who wants to compete in cricket, but has the opportunity to do something like what you just mentioned there and also take the IPL on. So the earning capacity for our players is phenomenal. Uh, I don't think many, many other sports can compete. That's a really, really good point. Um, you, you both make there, particularly Timmy, about um, the money in the IPL. So, Toddy, the, the whole role's changed, really, hasn't it, um, I suppose, as the, the players' union rep, effectively, um, where you only really had... In that role, you only really had one sort of negotiation to do with Cricket Australia. But now, do you, do you have to work across all these different potential uh, money earners for the players? Yeah, absolutely. And there's mm. lots of different formats in the game now, you know, whether it's uh, domestic T20 or, you know, um, our guys who are playing a 50-over game or uh, guys and girls going to World Cups. And, yep. and then you've obviously got the IPL series. And, and importantly, you know, what we're seeing now is uh, an increased need to continue to invest in well-being and welfare and, education for our players, that important position of transition for cricketers as they come to the end of their career and starting to think about what might be next. And equally as importantly as those young kids who are coming through the system, not everyone can make it, not everyone can get through and, and be the next test player. So how do we work with those younger kids to make sure they've got um, plan B, making sure they study or they work or they're being prepared for life before and after cricket. So there's a number of different challenges, but you're right, it's a, it's a really interesting role. And, you know, the, the players who I've been speaking to uh, have been nothing but welcoming and I'm really looking forward to being part of it and equally working closely with Cricket Australia because I genuinely think that 
uh, if the, the governing body of the sport and the players can all be aligned, uh, mm. I think anything, almost anything can be achieved. There's one thing that I do know from my time in rugby league is when the players and the game are all on the same page, uh, you can create some amazing outcomes. Yep. You had some real triumphs in, in rugby league and you, you went from leading the Bulldogs into to obviously that, that second tier role into the top job at the NRL. I, I remember personally when I left Channel 9, walked out the door, you, you feel a little bit lost for a while it could, because it, you've invested so much time. How do you reflect now, Todd, on, 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 on the leaving of, of the NRL and we were a bit disappointed oh, in the manner look, it's in which a good question, happened. Timmy. Absolutely, it's a good question. Yeah, 13 years for me in rugby league, that was six at the Bulldogs and then, as you just mentioned, seven at the governing body at the NRL. Um, how do I reflect on it? I loved every minute of it. Um, 13 years is a hell of a journey at the top end of rugby league. Boy, it was hard at periods. Um, some really tricky issues, a uh, hell of a lot of hours and, as you've just said then, a real investment of your own time and energy into it. So when it finishes... Um, it, it is hard to change. And, uh, you know, I spent the first month pretty much having to reset all my operating rhythms, you know, how I did things, how I thought, how I, you know, got up every day and whether I'm scanning news or not. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a tricky one because, you know, there's no real great end in sight in some of those roles. It's a bit like a coach, you know, every coach is waiting to be sacked. And uh, I think everyone knows at some point timing will choose you as opposed to the other way around. And, you just have to be, uh, I suppose, a realist to understand that there's a time frame on all of us. The game's much bigger than everybody else. There's no individual that's bigger than the sport. So when I reflect on my time, I loved every bit of it. I learned an enormous amount. I've made some incredibly great friendships in rugby league and some of those I've been continuing to talk to regularly. But the time was for me to find a new chapter. So one thing I can assure you is I've enjoyed the last six months not working. Jeez, I've had a good time. I've, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, yeah. I've uh, yes. caught up with some great old mates and I've, uh, I've played a lot of golf and I really enjoyed myself and I made sure to enjoy myself while I wasn't you know, actively engaged in, in the public eye. And now I've just started into this new role and uh, I've also just started into a role with Venues New South Wales on, on their new board, which mm-hmm. I'm equally excited about. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's amazing you can put so many of the learnings that you've had um, through the lens of rugby league, whether it's dealing with players or dealing with broadcasters or the commercial space and apply them into a different space. And now I'll do that exactly with cricket and hopefully add some real value to the players and, and ultimately hopefully add some real value to the game long term. Uh, just speaking on the broadcasters, how how uh, dependent do you think Cricket Australia is um, on the next big rights deal and when is that going to happen? Oh, there's no doubt all sports yeah. will be dependent on, on rights deals. Um you know, and you can see already that uh, people, and particularly kids, you know, we've all got kids. Our yeah. kids, how they digest their, their sport and content, they, they very rarely turn the TV on like what we used to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're all watching it on tablets and phones and, you know, they're, they're usually doing two or three things at one time as opposed to the old days where we just sit on the lounge with a remote control. Um, so, you know, viewing habits of the next generation are very different and that's going to transcend into differences in ways sports engage with broadcasters and, and the sort of value they can generate out of that. So all sports are still very reliant on broadcast dollars, which ultimately then goes to fund the rest of the sport. So we have to work really proactively and collaboratively with Cricket Australia, with the players together, because as I said, when we are together and we are aligned, um, you know, you can pretty much solve anything because, you know, at the end of the day, the game's greatest assets are as players and um, in cricket, None more so. So we've got to make sure that uh, our players do everything they can 
to in- increase those revenues and, and help the game and vice versa. The game needs to make sure that they're aligned with the players and listen carefully to their views. Hey, Toddy, so in your new role, mate, I just want to be clear. So as a former player, if I need a new pair of cricket spikes or a pair of whites, do I just call you direct? How does it work? <laughs> I don't think he's going to need to worry about that. <laughs> when you call my number, uh, you can press one for equipment. You, you can press two for uh, for a social catch-up. <laughs> and three to leave a message. <laughs> i tell you what, the, num- the number two will be blocked off you know it's a, things just rub yep. off when you keep pressing it the um look the, the, i do want to ask you about your your role on the on the board with venues new south wales the expanded and for those that don't know um it, it's all come together in new south wales where in the past you had the the trust and venues new south wales with different operations it's a very exciting time todd isn't it because it means everyone's working in the one direction you've got the mighty scg and all the the assets at homebush great Bankwest stadium and this this brilliant new complex uh Stadium, which will be the best in the world, or best in the Southern Hemisphere anyway, uh, the the new Sydney Football Stadium. Oh, absolutely! It is. It's a massive opportunity for New South Wales uh, as a state uh, to finally have, you know, one effectively a governance structure that sits above all of stadiums. Um, really important, though, that we maintain all that history and heritage that sat with the SCG Trust and ensure that those you know, really iconic um, parts of the SCG are retained. But at the same time, keep our eye on the future. And, you know, only yesterday I was out uh, having a a tour of the brand-new stadium, the Sydney Football Stadium, and it's just literally coming up out of the ground. It is going to be, as you just said, if not the world's best rectangular stadium, it'll be on the dais as a top few because it is going to be like nothing people in Sydney have ever seen before. So, you know, look, all, all credit to the government for having the foresight to be able to bring that structure under one. Um, you know, the the long-term benefits of this will be felt by probably generations to come. But, you know, I'm absolutely excited to be a part of that. Um, there's some incredibly bright people on that board. You know, it's chaired by Tony Shepard. Mm. Um, you know, people like Alan Jones and Rod McGeoch um, uh, are on that board. They've got unbelievable history and knowledge of, of New South Wales and of major live sport and events. So, you know, I'm going to learn a lot and hopefully I can contribute a lot from, uh, onto that board and, and really help uh, as we take a, a really strong strategic view of all of our stadiums and, and facilities in Sydney and New South Wales. When's the SFS due to be completed, mate, roughly? Uh, I think it's got about another 18 months. It'll be sort okay. of the back end of next yep. year, the back end of 22. Yep. So, um, you know, with a bit of luck, you'll you'll start to see some some incredibly great events uh, in yep. Paddington and Moore Park at the back end of next year. So, um Press four for an invitation to, uh, to the events, Shane. When you ring, okay? I look forward to that. Oh, good disclosure. Yeah, look, I can't, I can't wait for it to open and to take the kids as well. It'd be brilliant. And it is, it's an important point to make. It's ahead of schedule. It's one of those things that's benefited from the COVID thing. It's, it's, it's ahead of schedule. So, yeah, exciting times, Todd. Always a treat to have a chat. Congratulations on the new role, and uh, I'm sure you'll kill it. Good on you guys, and thanks for having me on the program. And well done on the work you guys are doing. Um, I'm sure people are really enjoying the dulcet tones of Lee and Gilbert, so keep up the good work, boys. Go on you, Tony. Take care, mate. Expect a call. <laughs> See you, fellas. Well, he's had the most crazy trip to Melbourne. I think he went to Melbourne for 23 and a half hours, then tried to get out of lockdown. He's got so much to talk about, including that wonderful story. John Stephenson coming up on Afternoon Sport. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. StumpToStump.com John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. 
In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies, and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Well, it's Friday free-for-all on Afternoon Support, and this next guy, I tell you what, I was talking to him off-air. His energy off-air is extraordinary, so we have to get him to tone it down when he comes on. <laughs> Absolutely we do. John Stephenson, how are you? Hey, TV set. Hey, he our- tones himself down, but he's toned up, that's for sure. Yeah, that's it, but our, our Afternoon Sports After Dark series is coming out soon, ladies and gentlemen, so stay tuned. <laughs> hey, let's start off with some Olympics. Johnny, what's happening, mate? What's the latest news? Oh, it's, 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 it's like watching the bold and the beautiful at the moment, man, or, or watching the poor people of Victoria go through their five months of lockdown just waiting for some mm. good news. You just did not know where things stand. But the one thing we do know, the president of the Japanese Olympic Committee has uh, stepped aside and stood down after his inflammatory remarks about uh, women's position within um, high-power positions uh, in Japanese culture and sport. Uh, and obviously, they, you know, he's... Uh, comments were around that you know they'll pretty much just be a nuisance if they're around. So um, that didn't sit well, which it shouldn't sit well with anybody. Um, and, and so he's obviously stepped aside, saying, "Listen, the Olympics is what's most important that we have a successful Olympic Games." But in saying that, it's like everyone's saying the games is going to go on, but there was uh, I read some news around the vaccinations um, and the rollout that, 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 that Japan is going through and, and sort of how this rollout is going to be implemented. Mm-hmm. They're still going to be running short of time to create enough herd immunity for safety with, for, for the Japanese community. Um, something like 15% of the people of Japan uh, voted for Olympics to continue. You know, that, that's leaving a huge disparity and a huge amount of people that do not want the Olympics to go ahead but all would rather see Olympics be postponed mm-hmm. um, to another date. Uh, so the feeling of the people is obviously there's there's this taste in their mouths that people are scared they, that they have this influx and there's 11,000 athletes and there's another 4,000 for the Paralympics going to come a month later um, into their country uh, plus all the you know the coaches and, and the circus that comes with the Olympic Games um, which I personally believe the games is going to go ahead. I think it's going to be highly sanitized. Excuse the play on words, but I think it's going to be highly sanitized in the way it's going to be run. Um, and and I, and I really think that takes what the spirit of the games is um, and why you go to Olympic Games. I was saying this to actually somebody the other day. The games for a, an athlete, yes, is all about winning a gold medal, and and that's the very top percentile do go there and actually can go go there compete and lead. But for the huge majority of the games, it's what comes along with it, whether you're a part of the media team, whether you're a part of the TV broadcast, whether you're an athlete, whether you're an official, whether you're just a spectator in that in that bubble of the games in your in that country that it's taking place in. It's the experience, the vibe, the talking to people, the mingling, the eating the different food experience in that yeah. culture that you maybe wouldn't have experienced. That's going to be completely lost, which I, which I feel is the essence of the Olympic Games. 
Well, I never thought I'd hear you quote Dennis Denudo from the castle. It's the vibe, Your Honour. But I, th- I think you're right, Johnny. I think you're right. Um, I think it will go ahead because if you look at a culture like Japan, um, a big part of their culture is about you know maintaining face and, and keeping an honour, right? So um, they, they will move heaven and earth to make this happen. So fingers crossed it, it will. And, and all these poor athletes who have been training will uh, be able to show how good they are. Hopefully. Well, I'll tell you something, Shane, you know, we haven't had to wait too long um, to see great performances because there's athletes around the world that are competing right now um, and performing, I mean, out of this world. And I, I'm, I call him a young Thundercat from Great Britain, uh, Elliot Giles. I've, I've watched this kid run. He's, he dibble-dabbled in the, in the 400 a little bit. Um, he ran the indoor 800 metres on the weekend and broke – the British record, who is Sebastian Coe's record, and he ran one minute forty three sixty three, which is absolutely blazing on indoor track. Mm. And for those that don't understand indoor running, it's a two hundred meter track on bank curves. So there's a bit of a technique to it because you, when you run a four hundred, you run two laps. Now conventionally, when you run outdoors in the four hundred, it's only one lap. So it means running four laps for an eight hundred, which means you're taking more curves. And as you know, you, you can run quicker on the straight than we can run on the curve because you're not fighting gravity and, and inertia and all those type of things. So um, for him to run 143.63, to break the great Sebastian Coe's record indoors, um, he's the second all-time fastest ever um, besides the world record um, for the 800 metres indoors. Um, it's it's phenomenal performance along with with in Australia. that That's internationally this is happening. In yeah. Australia, you've got a young girl named Liz Clay who 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 trained and trained with Sally Pearson's old coach. She runs the 100-meter hurdles. She ran a PB a week ago. She comes again in Canberra, runs another PB of 12.70.72, becomes the second fastest Australian all-time in the 100-meter hurdles. I mean, these performances are happening in the midst of all this confusion and unknown of the Olympic Games, um, which, which, which just shows that, you know, it shows that the resilience of athletes. So when we start to question, when we see in the Australian Open um, athletes that, couldn't handle quarantine and couldn't handle these things. They've done quite well. These two athletes I've mentioned, they're great performances, you know, and and it really, you've, we've got to remember that, you know, when it comes to Olympic Games, we're asking these athletes to compete to their very best every four years. So you can sort of understand what, you know, their, I guess their discomfort around whether they will or won't compete, right? Yeah. Now I love the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And John, you've had a very similar kind of experience, a very Candy-like experience. Remember they're lying in bed? Remember they're lying in bed and he goes, where, where are your hands between two pillows? They're not two pillows. They're not pillows. <laughs> Rest in peace, John Candy. But you know I cried in that movie? Like my, and my sister looked at me on the couch and she goes, you're crying to trains, planes and automobiles? I, I, I don't know why. I was a young kid. He left an impression on me. But no, Tim, you're right. I can't. This, damn, man, I already gave you my vibe on that Dan Andrews, I think, in our very first episode of our of our podcast that I did together, you guys, man, that guy is haunting my life. I went down to the tennis open to watch some great tennis. Um, Craig Tarley invites, you know, different guests to round. It's called the O, and you go and you, you have a marvelous night. He does a fantastic job. The Australian Open um, uh, committee and and the, and the federation, and an, an absolutely great job. Um, and I was really keen, excited. Flew in there on the Thursday. I'm packed my bags, went straight to the tennis. Watched the tennis, came and slept. Said to all the boys, we're going to catch up Friday, boys. We're going to have a massive one Friday. We're going to enjoy the week. Steph's back in Melbourne. Anyway, I wake up in the morning. I've got phone calls galore. And you know what time I wake up, boys. So my morning, I woke up 11.30. So the press conference is happening. And I'm thinking to myself, really? 
Well, I woke up really early this day, and then, <laughs> and then I, 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 I see in the press conference, I automatically panicked. I went to book a flight, couldn't book a flight, tried to book a rental car. For some reason, I was able to book a rental car. I raced back to the Crown. Thank you, Crown. Great place to stay if you're in Melbourne. And I went up to my room, got my bags, came back down the elevator. As I walked out the elevator, I saw this big dude looking at me. So he was sort of like walking past. He's walking in the lift. I'm walking out. As I walked out, I looked at him, looked at me. And I put my my face mask down. Which John Candy? Man, no, it wasn't John, <laughs> but it was it was. Wait on, but it's somebody even better than Johnny Candy. It was your boy Sammy Burgess. And he looked at me and he goes, "Steph," but I said, "Sam, I go, what are you doing?" He goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm getting the hell out of here." He goes, "Howie," I said, oh, "I got a rental car." He goes, "How did you get a rental car?" I couldn't get one, so I said, "Jump in the car." Me and Sammy and I drove eight hours back to Sydney straight away and got the hell out of Dodge. Mate, it would be quicker for you to run, John. I reckon. You know what? Honestly, halfway through, I did say to Sam, I said, "Man." I, I really this drive is starting to cook me. So then we ended up uh, finding some horses in Chartin. So uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Trip to Melbourne, love it. <laughs> yeah, that was my experience. But no, no, it was it was the, the open that I did um, that I got to experience. I was lucky. I had a bit of a crowd, and it was actually really awesome. I watched Nadal uh, take on the. I can't remember. I can't remember the guy's name to be honest with you, because I, by that time I was just enjoying my Magnum ice cream. But it was um, he had set of arms in this bloke, and I kept thinking he too much weight's not enough speed. The old Jack the Mass, you know. But um, but no, it was good fun. Love the tennis, and uh, I'm just hoping that. You know, we can see a final, hopefully, with some, with a crowd now that lockdowns are over. Dan Ricardo, let's talk about him. He couldn't fit in the seat of his car. What's going on there? Now, last quick question before you answer that question. How big are normally Formula One drivers? They're quite short, aren't they, to, to actually fit in the car? Is that correct? Yeah, they're not so short. You know, um, uh, Esteban Ocon is super-duper tall, and the poor guy has to diet all through the season in order to meet weight regulations because – I mean, they go down to the gram, you know, in those cars yeah. to get every bit of speed out of the car. So um, he does a lot. Like if you see him, his legs are like twigs and he's a super duper tall in the car. And also for the height where the air vent is on top of the, on, on top of the, um, of their helmet above their head, that, that, that's a really, that's a big induction system for the engine and the cooling of the car. So if the, if the driver's too tall, their helmet flow, the way the flow comes, the airflow comes off the helmet, affects the flow into that, into the outlet, which you, which if you've seen a Formula One car, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a big round circle above their helmet. Um, looks like a big mouth on top of the car. I thought that, I thought that was a subwoofer. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it does look a like that, eh? Like, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> So you know, so you know, with with this, it's it's kind of um, they they do they do have regulations. So it's kind of it's kind of strange, but I don't think it, it was a weight thing for Ricardo. I think more it's a new car. And I said I said earlier, I was talking to somebody about this. I was saying, in when we jump in the race car, and I, and I know where race a Formula One car, but we, we do a seat fit where you go into the factory and you sit in your seat, but they, they pull like a like a foam inside the seat and then it hardens as you sit right. and molds to the shape of your body. So I'm pretty they, I'm pretty sure they do. That's the, one of the first things they do when they're building a car around a Formula One driver. So I think something's gone horribly wrong there um, for Daniel, or maybe it's more of a comfortability thing where he, he got into the car and it just didn't feel right, and which which I think is a teething thing. Anytime you move to a new car, um, uh, and, and you're a driver, and these guys, they race 70 to 80 laps, you know, I mean, anywhere between 50 to 80 laps, depending on the length of the circuit, um, their comfortability, they're fighting G-forces out of this world, their comfortability in the car um, mm. has to be superior for them to be a, for them mm. to perform at the optimal. So, um, yeah, it's a very strange one. Hopefully he hasn't, he hasn't you know, in too much. Thanks, John, and it's quite appropriate today that we talk about uh, 
John Candy because he would have struggled, God rest his soul, to get into a few car seats himself. Catch you next week. Thank you, gents. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you today goes to Todd Greenberg and John Stephenson, our wonderful sponsor, Shane. www.spartansportshq.com And, of course, thank you to our producer who puts it all together, Dan McHugh. We'll be back on Monday. See you then. We'll see you then.